Today on The Journey. The Spirit of the Living God lives in us with such completeness and fullness that we have everything we need to be who God wants us to be and to live how God wants us to live. Though not created, Christ sustains creation. Though once dead, He is the giver of life. Though He emptied Himself, the fullness of God dwells in Him. And though rejected, He has reconciled you to Himself. In this half hour, Ron Moore holds these truths up to the light and challenges you to believe them. Also, we want you to know about a companion devotional to this series. There you'll learn how to share in Christ's overflowing life, a life full of joy and passion. It's available as a digital download for a donation of any amount at ronmore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with the message, Overflowing, Fully Supreme, On the Journey. Today as we continue through our study of Colossians, what we want to do is look at a passage of Scripture that explains to us who Jesus is. Now, all through Scripture, you're going to get descriptions of Christ. But Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, is going to put it in a passage as to who the person of Christ is. So I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1 as we continue through this. As you're turning there, let me set the context of our passage. You remember that a man named Epaphras was from this town called Colossae, and he traveled about 100 miles east to a town called Ephesus, and there he encountered the Apostle Paul. He heard the gospel from the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. He trusted in Christ. Then Epaphras went back to Colossae, and like every Christian should do, Epaphras shared the message of Christ there in Colossae, and other people began to trust in Christ, and a church was established. Now, church has been going on for about 10 years now. And as happens, errant theology started seeping in. There were those who came from the Jewish background, the Jewish faith. They were Christians, but they said, surely we cannot throw away all the things we have in the Old Testament. If we're going to be a Christian, we're going to have to continue to follow God's Old Testament laws, we're going to have to continue to do all the ceremonies and everything the Old Testament tells us to do. And so a lot of legalism, you have to do this, you can't do this, you have to do this, you can't do this, seeped into the church. Another issue was Gnosticism. That means that there were those who felt like there was this secret knowledge, this deeper understanding, and if you got that, then you could really understand who Christ was. It was kind of an arrogant philosophy. We also had in Colossae the worship of angels and the denial that Jesus was God. And so Epaphras, concerned about the church in Colossae, went to Rome where Paul was now in prison. It's about 60 AD. Paul's under house arrest. And he goes to Paul and says, what do I do? Help me in this situation. And so Paul writes the letter of Colossians to refute these heresies, these false teachings, going on in the church. And the very first thing he does is to focus on the person of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to see seven non-negotiables about Jesus that we've got to nail down in our Christian walk. And here's what I want us to do today. 
There are going to be some of you, you're going to say, man, I'm sure I believe this. I have always believed this. And for you, I want this to be a confirming time. There are going to be others of you who say, you know what? I've always struggled with that aspect. And I want more information on that. And we want to continue that. Others are going to say, you know what? I'm just getting started. I'd like more discussion on this. Everyone is on a spiritual journey. And the most significant question you can ask and answer is, who is this person, Jesus Christ? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The first thing Paul says about the person of Jesus Christ is this. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, there are two important truths in this first line of chapter 15. The first truth is this. God is invisible. God is unseen. That is a truth that a central part of theology throughout the Old Testament. You cannot see the person of God. In the Old Testament, God is so magnificent and great, His glory would melt a human being just like that. If ever... We saw his face. We see that in the New Testament as the gospel writer John makes it clear no one has ever seen God. And Paul in Romans says that nature only gives us hints of the invisible God. But then Jesus came. And he didn't just simply tell us who God was or give us a hint of what God was like. He was the image of the invisible God. The Greek word image or copy is the word icon. That's where we get that word in our English language. The word icon meant a shared reality in what was represented. An icon was the essential substance and embodiment of something. And so when Paul says Jesus is the image, the icon of the invisible God, what Paul is saying is that Jesus is not simply here to represent God, but he is the essential substance and embodiment of God himself. Again, the gospel writer John says it this way. In John chapter 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then four verses later, John says, no one has ever seen God, carrying a central theme of the Old Testament to the New Testament. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So Jesus was the image of the invisible God, the embodiment of God. Now, why do some people not believe that Jesus was God? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to what Paul says. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God. The God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of light. It was God who at one time for believers shined a light on our darkened heart and allowed us to see Himself 
in the face of Christ, that should cause us to live with joyful thanksgiving, to know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Here's the second thing. Paul says in verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now the word firstborn refers here to two things. It refers to time and it refers to rank. It does not describe Jesus as a created being, but rather to time and rank. Regarding time, the word speaks to the fact that Jesus was before all creation. He was prior to all creation. Before anything existed, He was. He's eternal. And regarding rank, the word firstborn speaks to His sovereignty. He is supreme, like the firstborn son would be supreme over the family and have all the rights. So Jesus is supreme over all creation. He reigns supremely over it. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is before creation, and He reigns supreme over creation. He is prior to it. He is eternal. He is not a created being. And we're going to see through this that all things are subservient to this one who is first and supreme over all. Number three, look at verse 16. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, the thrones, the powers, the rulers, or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. Here we see in this passage and in others that Jesus Christ was there at creation and not a passive bystander. He is the Creator. All things were created by Him. And what else does Paul say? He's the instrument of creation. All things are created by Him. But what else? All things are created for Him. He created everything for Himself. For His honor, for His glory, for His pleasure. He is the supreme ruler of all things. Again, the Gospel writer John says this, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Look at verse 17. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold Together. So not only is he the creator, but he's the sustainer. All the natural laws that hold this universe together, that hold molecules together, that holds us on this earth, that holds the earth in place, and all the planets and galaxies, all the natural laws are controlled by Jesus Christ. Writer to the Hebrews says it this way. In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through whom the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So that same word in Genesis chapter 1 has said, let there be light and there was light. It's the same word that sustains all things, that holds everything together. Number four, verse 18. And he is the head of the church, the body. Jesus is the head of the church. Church is not about us. It's about him. We come to worship him. 
we come to learn about him, desiring to be better disciples of him, followers of him. He is the head of the church. Number five, verse 18, the second part. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Jesus was not the only one raised from the dead. There are others. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus went into a town called Nain, and as he's walking into town, he sees a funeral procession, and he learns that it is the only son of a widow, and right in the middle of that funeral procession, he raises this boy back to life. In John 11 is the probably the most well-known resurrection story besides Jesus. Who's that in John 11? Lazarus, yeah. And in Acts chapter 20, one of my favorite stories, Paul is in Ephesus, he is preaching, he's getting ready to leave Ephesus, and he preached a very, very long sermon. In fact, Scripture says he went on and on and on. And there was a man named Eutychus sitting in a window, and the man fell asleep and fell out of the window and killed himself. That's not funny. <laughs> okay, but it gets better because Paul goes and he raises Eutychus from the dead. Great story. Now, all these people had three things in common, right? They died. They were raised. And then what happened to them? The third thing. They died again. These poor people died a second time. They were raised in their physical bodies, and they died again. Now, Jesus has two things in common with that. He died. He was raised. But that's where the commonality stopped, because he never died again. The writer of the Hebrews says that Jesus' life is indestructible. Jesus raised from the dead, not in a human body again, but a resurrected, never-to-die-again, eternal body. And his resurrection marks triumph over death. And so Paul says at the end of this verse, so that he might have supremacy in everything, even death itself. Christ is supreme. He's the head of this new order of resurrected people. In Corinthians, Paul calls him the first fruits of the dead so that we follow him through death, passing from death to life, and then resurrected bodies never to die again. What a promise, all because of who Jesus is. Number six, God's fullness dwells in him. Look at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God's nature, His person, God's attributes, God in His fullness, God in His completeness dwelt, that word means took up permanent residence in Jesus Christ. Now this was a direct refutation of Gnostic teaching. They said that Jesus was less than a man. So here Paul is saying, no, nah, that's not the case. The essence of God, the deity, was present in completeness in Jesus' human Form. God is pleased to have His fullness dwell in Him. Now turn over to chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Look at verse 9. Paul repeats what he's just said. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives 
in bodily form. Then he goes on to say, here's the application. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. It's not just that Jesus is complete and full of God. It's that now you as believers, as soon as you trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in you. Now you have the fullness of God living in you. God in His completeness is there. Now what does that mean? That the Spirit of the living God lives in us with such completeness and fullness that we have everything we need to be everything God wants us to be and do everything God wants us to do. We live without excuse, we who are believers. Now, does that mean we're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Does it mean we can No, we're going to fall. We're going to stumble. But it means we don't have to stay there. And it means we don't have to be dogged by the same old sins day after day and week after week and month after month and year after month. It means that we don't have to live a second rate just getting by Christian life. God in His fullness has taken up residence in our heart. He's there to give us everything we need to be the person He wants us to be and to do the things He wants us to do as we learn of those in His Word. We should be in the process of growth because we have no excuse. One more thing. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on a cross. Jesus is the reconciler. To reconcile means to take two groups at odds with each other and bring them together to live in harmony. So Paul says in verse 22, Once you are alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So God's over there, and we're over here. We are alienated from God. We are living for ourselves. We are living evil behavior. You say, well, you know, I see some non-Christians doing some good things, and that's true. But what are their intentions in doing those things? If they're not a believer, it's not for Christ. It's not for God. We are alienated. So what happens? Christ shines His light on our hearts. He allows us to see we've got a problem. We're alienated from God and cannot get over there. And then we realize there's one way we can. He has made peace with God through His blood on the cross. And so we trust in what He did on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins as the only way we can now have a relationship with God. Jesus is the only way we can know the eternal God. Paul goes on to say in verse 22, that now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through His death to present you holy. We're going to be presented to Him without blemish. It's as if Jesus takes an eraser, and He erases all the sin of our heart so that our heart is clean and pure before God. That's only because Jesus has paid for our sins on the cross. And we are free from accusation. That's a legal term. 
Because of Christ's work, there is no legal or judicial charge that can be brought against us. We belong to Christ. We have peace with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the question many people deal with, and the question a lot of Christians deal with, is this. Is Jesus the only way to God? Jesus makes this claim. I am the only reconciler. I'm the only way you can have a relationship with the living God. See, the reality of Scripture is not that there is one way, but there is a way. That Jesus Christ was put on a cross so that we could have a relationship with the living God. At the end of the day, it's just about Jesus. Have you trusted Him or not? And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. Would you like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? One who experiences His power, peace, truth, and joy? Well, that's what Paul wanted for the Colossian Church, and his letter to them still resonates with our hearts today. Let it resonate with yours by claiming your copy of Ron Moore's devotional titled Overflowing. This digital companion to the audio series we're currently enjoying will fill your soul with security, commitment, and liberty in Christ. You can get yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmoore.org. That's ronmoore.org. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now let's rejoin Ron for a preview of our next broadcast. Paul says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the saints. To them... God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, Paul says, struggling with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Okay, let's start by looking at verse 26. And there's a word that Paul uses there in verse 26, and he repeats it three times over in this short passage. Remember the word? Mystery. He's hitting these Gnostics who believe there is this mystery, this deeper knowledge. If you really want to know Christ, you got to have this secret handshake, only for a few. Notice what he says in verse 25, I have become its servants by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. The mystery was hidden in the Old Testament. It was veiled, 
but now it has been made known. The meaning in the New Testament, something that has been hidden, has now been revealed. It has been, Paul says, unveiled. And the Gnostics would say, yeah, that's great. I agree with you, Paul. It has been unveiled just to us, but not to many others because we have the secret. Well, notice how Paul hits that super spiritual Christian thinking in the last line of verse 26. This mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations has now disclosed to the saints. Every believer is a saint. The secret is for every believer. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And to help you experience the abundant life, we invite you to download a PDF copy of Overflowing. It's a powerful reminder that Christ has provided all you need for life and godliness, a life filled to overflowing. Overflowing is yours for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmore.org. That's ronmore.org. Also, for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the real conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on the journey.